I want you to go with me to the book of Revelation. To the book of Revelation. And notice it's Revelation, not Revelations. It's Revelation. The word Revelation means an unveiling, an unfolding. This morning I'm going to start a brand new series. A couple of weeks ago, God began to speak to me about how to deal with changing times. This was a couple of weeks ago before anything would begin to break loose that we knew of in, in uh, Israel and such as that. And I'm not here necessarily to preach to you an end time message because to be honest, when I walk through the book of Revelation, I'm as lost as many as you are. But just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I don't need to read it and walk through it and ask Holy Spirit to give us some definition, maybe give us some answers. I know times are changing. Oh, by the way, let me just say what a powerful, powerful service here last Sunday morning. I got to listen to Pastor Chris as I was driving on my way back home. What an awesome message about the coming of the Lord in one sense, of being prepared. What was interesting on my way to Kennett, I was ministering in Kennett, so I had a little bit, a little bit over an hour, about an hour and 20, 30 minutes, something like that to, uh, to drive and pray and listen. I was watching Jensen. When I say watching, he's sitting right there in my phone thing, my cup holder. And I was watching him as my usual Sunday morning is. So he's preaching the same message. And when I'm coming home, I'm listening to Chris. I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're preaching the very same thing. It almost even some of the wording was very was very much. And I, I heard Pastor Chris say this, I believe, and I heard Jensen say it first, that one of the greatest concerns for the generation is we have lost the message of the coming of the Lord. And there's really no anticipation in one sense because if you've not heard it and you don't know it and you don't know that he's going to come back, would you know that he's coming? And a generation has come. I grew up with that as a kid believing that any moment, any day, Jesus could return. And how many knows the Bible gives us many signs about the end times and things that are going on? And whether we know it or not or like it or not, we know it. Everything is changing. Matter of fact, it's always changing. Just some of the changes are more pronounced than others. Think about this for a moment. When you're a kid, when you're a kid, 60 looks really old. Right? And then when you get in your 30s and 40s and you look in that mirror... And the first time you find one gray hair, your world just got turned upside down. Something began to change. Matter of fact, like I said, they're just more pronounced than others. Everything constantly is changing. You're going to need to stay with me over the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to invite everybody that you can into this house. I believe because of the times that we're in, I believe that the people, I believe the people of the land are going to be more open, more success, uh, more uh, uh, susceptible to hearing the gospel than ever before. And you and I need to take advantage of that. And God began to speak to me about these changes a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, okay, God, what are we going to do with this uh, that's there? 
And then all of a sudden this past week, we all noticed what went on from, I guess it was was last Saturday, last Sunday, we're in the eighth day, something like that of the war that's in Israel. And like you, everybody is tuned into it. Everybody is watching what is going on with Israel. And it only looks like that over there is going to increase. And now the threats from other countries is beginning to enter in. And the questions are going to be able to begin to surface, are we living in the last days? Well, according to the Bible, some of the things the last days are going to be perilous times. Some of the things that the Bible said in the last days is going to be a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. They're all going to walk hand in hand. But I want to give you some tools. I want to give you some tools. I want to give you several things that I believe are going to be absolutely necessary over the next couple of weeks as I'm entitling this series, Navigating the Times. Y'all got it a little bit backwards, so flip it so it says it right. We're going to navigate the times. How do we get through it? What does the word navigate simply mean? It simply means to direct a way to get there safely. You don't get on an airplane that a course has already been set. And they're not just setting that course to, okay, that's where we're going. They want to get you there safely. And they're watching everything in between from the moment it starts to the end. They're watching weather patterns. They're watching other flights. They're doing other things. Same thing on a ship. Most of you, if you're taking a trip, you have mapped a direction of which you're going to go. What are you doing? You are navigating that moment of time. Now, I don't care if it's a life change for you. I don't care if your age just changed. It doesn't matter if your hair's falling out or it's all turned gray. It doesn't matter if there's a financial collapse and crises in your life. I had a call yesterday from a young man. Or he's not really a young man. He's just probably a little bit younger than I am. Well, I am a young man, so he's a kid. So the reality of that, the reality of that, he was in a dire strait. Nobody could help him. He was needing, he's far from his home, and his world has literally flipped upside down. So I'm here to tell you, even though things are changing, everything is. Look at your neighbor and say, everything is changing. Matter of fact, whether we see all the implications of it or not, this war has changed everything in our land, just like 9-11 changed us. It changed us at 9-11. I wasn't in New York. You wasn't either. Most of us in this room were nowhere close to that. But it literally has changed our life and still having an impact of wherever we go. Me and Pastor Chad were in Dallas a week, a little over a week ago as we were boarding, as we were getting ready to come through security at the airport in Dallas to come home. You now have to take just about everything you got on. If you haven't flown, if you guys don't do that, you just don't walk through the airport anymore. You've got to take just about everything you have on. If it's got any metal, take everything out of your pockets. Take your shoes off. You've got to take your computers, anything like that that's in your backpacks or whatever. It's got to be laid out where everybody could see it. And then you walk through these different devices. And I go through this thing that you walk in and you have to put your hands up like this, legs spread, and that thing goes around you. So when I get through it, I'm pretty well just in my, you know, slacks and my shirt because everything else is taken off. He said, we got a problem. See that screen over there? Something showed up on you. 
And he said, I, I, this is more embarrassing to me than you. It's in this area right here. Now, now the reason being of that was, if you'll remember a number of years after 9-11, me and Diane were in England, and we were on our way home, but just a week after we got home, at the same airport we was at was a, was a terrorist that boarded a plane that tried to put a bomb in his underwear and exploded upon the plane. And because of that now, everything is being watched. He said, sir, I, I'm going to have to search you. And he told me how we're going to do this. He said, I'm going to use the back of my hand. I'm going to go across your front, across your back, up and between your legs and all of that. He said, do you have a problem? Or do we need to go into a private room? I felt, well, I don't have anything on me. We might as well do it right here for the world to see. So <laughs> really happened. So we did that. And they found nothing. My whole point of the matter is because of an instance somewhat nearly 20 years ago, we are now living the consequences of that. And, and whether I was there and that was across the ocean, these things are having an impact upon our life. And believe me, what is happening in Israel now is going to have an impact upon your life. What our government does at this morning, this moment, is going to have an impact on your life. So how do we navigate changing times? I'm going to give you some keys because I believe you're going to have to have them. And my first key is this. I'll give it to you right off the start. You need to get as close to Jesus and sell out to him and live for him as much as you know how. I'm not talking about being religious. Because going to church isn't going to change anything in your life. But you need to give your life totally and completely to Jesus. And you need to sell out to him and be determined, I'm going to live for him with everything that I have in me. Now I'm going to tell you why. Because we're going to go into the book of Revelation. and Let's start at Revelation 1. In verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which were, are written in it, for the time is near. Now he said there's a blessing that comes by just reading through the book of Revelation. By reading this prophecy. Whether you understand everything, whether all the symbols, whether all the details unfold to you the way they ought to. He said there's a blessing come. I believe there would be greater understanding the moment you're determined I'm going to do what Jesus said do. And the moment you do that, he begins to unfold. So, man, I got so many verses and I'm going to have to stay close to my notes. But we're going to be right here in the first few chapters of Revelation this morning. 
So let me set this picture of what's happened so you'll know how this prophecy was written. John the Apostle, the brother of James, one of those who were called by Jesus to walk with him, that witnessed his death and witnessed his resurrection. This John that was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, this John, so bold to fulfill the purpose of God, has been preaching this gospel everywhere he goes. And the more he preaches, the more he's commanded to stop. They were determined to stop this message of Jesus. It's not anything different than what's really happening today. And so John, so John is in a spot So John is in a spot that he's been commanded to stop. They have taken him, and according to history, they gave him poison to drink to kill him, and it wouldn't kill him. And then they took John because they couldn't shut him up, because he's a threat to to everything that was in the world, his message. His message was a threat to the empire of Rome. It was a threat to the political system of that day. And they could not shut him up. So they tried to poison him. And when they couldn't poison him, there was a command given that he would be boiled in oil. This John. Now I want you to think about that. And that's hard for us to imagine You want to know why those people are so barbaric in that part of the world? They have always been. Can you imagine crucifying somebody upside down? Can you imagine crucifying somebody by impaling them on a pole and leaving them to hang before the whole world? And I'm not talking about after they're dead. I'm talking about why they're alive. This will help us to understand the reasoning and some of the things that have gone on over the murderous behavior of the, of the terrorists that acted this past week, uh, of the murder of many of, of adults and young people and many babies that were not only killed but were beheaded. So they took John in a boiling cauldron of oil and they put him in it to kill him. And the problem was, John wouldn't die. And matter of fact, nothing according to history. When he came out, his skin was not even burned. There was no scars because of what they did to John. They've got a massive problem. How are we going to stop him? The only way they knew how, let's isolate him Let's get him away from where the massive groups of people are and let's isolate him on a a deserted, in a sense, barren island. And this is where they would put a number of people to really torture them because it's really not a pleasant place to be that they would take political prisoners and those that would rise up against government and throw them there and they would take them there to leave them to shut them up because we can't kill him. So the scripture says John is on the Isle of Patmos. And the Bible says, let's read something together. Are you okay? Pay close attention. You're going to need to pay attention to some of the words. 
Verse 9 says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in kingdom and in patience of Jesus Christ was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. Something, church, that all of us are looking like because one of the signs of the end time was, is that the church would be persecuted. Notice what John said. He said, I, your, your companion, your brother, one of us, a believer, is what he's talking about in tribulation, but also in the kingdom. So listen, you can live a kingdom life and still be caught in a moment of trouble and tribulation. And he says, the reason I'm there is because I'm serving Jesus and I refuse to stop. But then look what the word said. Listen, church, don't tell me that you can't be in the middle of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost in the middle of you and be in the Spirit when things aren't going the way you think they ought to go. But John said it like this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit. I was caught up. On the Lord's day. And listen to what he said. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now that would be very important for you and I to understand. Because Israel would know a distinct sound. That when there would be a time of war, there would be a time of gathering, there would be a time of certain, even the feast, there would be certain sounds, horns would be blown. So John said, I heard a voice, but it was as of a trumpet. So therefore, John, the moment he heard it, he turned to give attention. What is this sound all about? But he said, this wasn't an ordinary sound. But he said, this is the sound of a loud voice saying. Now, the reason I believe he said it was being loud because God isn't whispering things. He's talking louder than what you and I are paying attention to. He really is. By the things that are going on around us. He said it was a loud voice. He was speaking to John. John, I don't want you to miss one thing that is going on. And John said, he began to unfold to me. Listen to what he said in verse 11. He said, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Myrna, to Pergamos, to Tiatra, and Sardis. He said, I want my church to know what is going on so that my church doesn't miss what I'm doing and they don't miss, they don't miss coming along with me. It's interesting. I love the song they sang this morning. The last one, I loved all of them, but the last one touched my heart so much because I had no clue what what I'm preaching. Because the first chapter deals with Jesus identifying himself with the church. And he starts in chapter 2, he starts talking to the church. And the next two chapters, he deals with the church. And he says something like this. Through all of them, I know your works. I know what's going on. 
May I say to all of you in this room that call yourselves followers of Christ, you may not have it all together, neither was the church here. The seven churches, it said there were seven throughout Asia. Seven is the number of completion. I, I believe these were the key epicenters that would send the word throughout the rest of the known world at the time. And he's saying to the church, I know where you are. And he starts addressing some of the things about the church. He said, I know some of you, you've left your first love. He said, some of you, you're nothing more, you're dead. Some of you, I know you're going through persecution. Some of you, you're in a state of compromise. Some of you, you're just absolutely corrupt. Some of you, you're dead. Some of you, you've stayed faithful. And some of you are lukewarm. He said, I know where you are. And I'm talking to you, telling you, because these things will cause you to miss eternity if we don't deal with them. So he said, if you don't know who I am, you're going to continue on in these things. And then he goes from there to chapter 4, and he gives us a view of heaven. Church, you need to pay close attention to these definitions I'm going to give you in a moment. So he goes into chapter 4, and he begins to get a view of heaven. And he sees the foreign living creatures around the throne that are constantly saying day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Listen to this. Who was and is and is to come. And then he said, while I saw that happening, I saw the four and twenty elders that were constantly before the Lord. And they were crying and they were saying, you are worthy, O Lord. What did we just say? No one else is worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You are credited by all things. And by your will, they exist. And they were created. And they are constantly before for him they must have been whether they're whether they're the saints of old it's it's a little bit of controversy as I studied who these four and twenty elders were or whether they were the saints that have gone before us that had a measure of authority or it was the created the Elohim of God that carried a measure of rule in the heavens but they were constantly casting their crowns which means their authority belonged to him and they're giving it to him and they're saying you are the only one that is worthy of all honor of all praise and all glory now I walk through all of that to tell you it doesn't matter what is going on in this earth how dark it gets I want you to get in your heart and spirit one thing why you need to be totally sold out to Jesus he is king of kings and lord of lords he is God almighty he is the supreme ruler of all the earth and there is none other now see you and I clap like that but we live like he's losing hello we clap like that in this room and we declare that but through the rest of the week, we act like he's, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to do. And we got ourselves in a frenzy and we're messed up. We got to do something as though he's going to lose. 
But that's why he spoke to John and said, you better know who I am. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about things going on and we need to do the right things. But if I'm going to get myself in a frenzy and I'm going to live in fear, then I'm not living in him. I want to say that to you again. If I'm going to be in a constant frenzy and I'm going to be in fear, then I'm not living in him. And I have not read the back of the book to say he won. So let's go back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, he started out, blessed as he reads. Now look at verse 4. Because John had to write all this. I might as well throw this, interject this. Why did God tell John to write all the things that he heard? Well, verse 19 gives us one clue. Now remember, he's on an island, secluded from everybody. His voice isn't going anywhere but to those others that are there. But he says to John, write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which must take place. Oh, in verse 11, he also says, same thing. Write what you see, write in a book and send it to the church. Because maybe there's a reason God said, I want you to write it. Because my church has got to get my message. The church has got to get the right message. So by writing it, number one, he couldn't get out because they're not going to let him off the island. I don't know how it got out even in a book or a parchment. Maybe he could have slipped it in the bag of a soldier. Maybe he could have found an old bottle, put it in like you see in a movie and floated it down the ocean. I don't know how it was going to get there, but God had a plan to say, if you'll write this, put it in a book, I'm going to get it to the rest of the world. I'm going to get it to my church. Here's the second reason I believe God said to write it. <clears throat> he was establishing a truth. <clears throat> Go through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. When man started out, it was in his heart. God put the law there, but after man sinned, what did God do? The first thing he did, he wrote it on tables of stone. And those tables of stone are still real today, but upon the hearts of the believer, God said, I didn't come to do away with it. I've come, but now I'm putting it on the heart of flesh again. But it's not on everybody's heart. But there has to be something that's written and established truth. This is the way. Walk you in it. Because evidently we've become a culture that don't know what life is about. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we're going. We don't know if there's an end to this thing. We don't even know if there's a beginning. We've lost our history. So we're a group of people that are floundering, trying to do life and in a way that God never intended. Here's the third, and I believe one of the greatest reasons God said write it. Because it shows his sovereignty and faithfulness. How else are you going to know? How else are you going to know that he's faithful? How else are you going to know about his sovereignty? When I say sovereignty isn't the fact, well, he's a sovereign God. Everything that happened, if he wants it to happen, no. Sovereignty is a far deeper than that. In other words, he established things. He's already set the pattern. He's already set the plan. He's not losing. We don't have multiple things going on. What he started in Genesis, he's going to wind up at the end, back here at the very end. But you have to understand the sovereignty of God. He wants us to see 
that he's the Lord and he doesn't change and that you can count on him. If he delivered them, then he can deliver you now. How many's ever heard that little verse? That little verse, let me see if I can find my note. Probably done away with it. I can't find it. Oh my goodness, it was a great, great definition. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I got to get a prop. Let me have that bottle right here. And can I have your bottle, Pastor? If y'all drink after each other, which one? Yeah, it'll work. Okay, we all know we'll quote that and jump up and down and shout over it. Jesus Christ, the same. Which one of these belonged to him and which belonged to her? Because these bottles are exactly the same. The markings are the same. The ounces of water in them are the same. So to say that he's just the same isn't deep enough of what Paul was trying to get over to us. Because the word the same, the word same there would go far deeper than that. And it would say, oh, I wish I could say it just like I had it wrote down. It, it would say something to the effect that as I conquered and I dealt with every situation in the past and was absolutely victorious over it, so will I be today and I assure you I will be tomorrow. And I know I'm not even saying that deep enough. But he's wanting us to see he's more. So John, John begins to unfold something. And this is what he said. Grace and peace from him. And notice how it starts. Who was and who is to come. Grace and peace from him who was and is to come and from the seven uh, spirits who are before the throne, which is nothing more than the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who lived, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Listen to this. And he made us to be kings or a kingdom and a priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So let's define grace here. Are you okay? I got to stay close here. So the word grace we at all know to understand is unmerited favor. Let me say it possibly like John would see it. He said, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. This is from him. My unmerited favor, my plan of salvation and freedom for you from all sin and death. That's what he said. My grace, because we were all deserving of death, but God's grace. Remember, he's already identified the church that it's got a lot of issues. And then he talks about peace. He's not talking about a calm storm. It actually would go to the word shalom. 
So in other words, this is what he'd say, grace to you and shalom. Everything as it should be from him who is, who was, and who is to come. So then why why didn't he just say from God? Instead of him who was or who is, who was and is to come. Go through this book of Revelation. You need to mark it, especially the first chapter. How God identifies himself because he's not just writing words to write words. He's wanting us to see something deep. Because if you're going to be able to trust him, you got to trust in his whole character and his faithfulness to you and what he's done for you. So when he's talking about who is, you and I just, well, That's Jesus. But something you and I need to know, Israel knows their history. They know their past because they're taught it from the moment they're born. It's not about a feeling. It's not about something to do. It's about who we are. And this is what we do. We're to instill this as they would know from generation to generation. And this would take us back all the way to the book of Exodus chapter 34. God's people are in bondage. You don't roll the story. You say, that's a bunch of people in bondage. But when you read the story as you would see it, God said, they are my chosen. That's my son Israel. I made a promise. I will deliver them. And so at that moment, when he called upon Moses to go be a deliverer, this is what Moses said. Who am I to tell them is going to set them free? For time's sake, in Exodus 3, verses 14 and 15, you can write it down, read it when you get home. He said, you tell them, I am who I am. What was he signifying? I am who I am. He was saying, I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I am the one that is before all things. And by me, all things consist. They would understand that. So he would say, this is where grace is coming from. Unmerited favor. I didn't die on that cross to let you go under. He didn't shed that blood for the devil to do whatever he wants to do to our lives. But he said, you tell him, I am he who is. And then he goes on to say, who was? What was he signifying? I'm the one who became flesh and redeemed us from all sin at the cross. And I conquered death. And I am the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he's stating, I am alive. And then when he said, who is to come? I'm the one who is coming back. Just like I said I would, as Pastor Chris so beautifully and Jensen and many others are preaching. By the way, I I just listened to John Hagee. You ought to go on uh, Free Chapel's website, listen to there. John Hagee preached this morning, fantastic, about end times. But Jesus said, I'm the one who is coming back. And the Bible said when he comes back, according to the scripture, verse 7, when he comes, he's going to come in the clouds and every eye is going to see him. Church, 
you better get ready because we are closer to the coming of the Lord than ever, ever before. Never has there been a time in history where everybody around the world at one time and real in real time can see the news and the activities that's going on. Everybody's got a smartphone. I don't care how poor the country is. I don't care where it is. Who would have ever thought? You know, this war in Israel is horrific, but there's been wars just as bad. But the difference of being is you and I are seeing it in real time. We saw it back there weeks, days, if not weeks later. But now everything is caught in real time. And the Bible said that he's going to come back and every eye, whether you believe it or not, every eye is going to behold him. But it just doesn't mean that he's going to come back into the future, but it means he is coming back. He is forever coming into our world to help us through every situation. He said, I am he who, who is who was, and I am he who is to come. I'm going to help you. Well, pastor, how's he helping me, leaving me in the fire? Well, go talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they went into the fire, never got singed, never felt a, never, never had a smell of smoke on them, didn't even burn their clothes off their body. The only thing that got burned off of them was the ropes that had them bound. Go talk to Daniel and the lions then the night he spent the night with the lions and those boys were hungry. And yet he sat there and petted them. Go talk to the many of us before. Go talk to John that is boiled in oil. And he comes out, and I got I to gotta guarantee, I, I probably believe this, that he come out, I don't think he felt anything. That was the horror of what they saw was this supernatural. How is this happening? but it didn't exempt them from going into the trouble that they thought. But if your eye isn't upon Jesus and know that you belong to Jesus and know that Jesus is going to see you through, you know what? I got an idea. If his heart wasn't set towards Jesus, he would have died in that cauldron. He would have died at the poison that they get offered him to drink. He wouldn't have made it had his, not his faith and confidence been in Jesus. And then we go and and in verse 11, notice what said. I don't have time to read every verse. I've got to do this quick. Verse 8, he said, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Matter of fact, let's say that together. Is that up on the screen? Uh, let's read this together. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He didn't say it like you just read it. Remember, he's talking in a loud voice. Let's say it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I believe Jesus was speaking into the face of every demonic spirit, into the face of Lucifer that is holding his hand above his, the people of God and saying they belong to me. And with sternness like some of you can get in when you're mad and upset and you want to demonstrate your authority, you don't just read, well, I'm the Alpha. I'm the, no, no, no. You stand up and say, wait a minute. I'm the I'm alpha. I'm the omega. I'm the beginning. And I'm the end. Yeah. 
Just like your daddy said to some of you, boy, if you don't straighten up, I brought you into this world, I'm taking you out. Hello? See, if you don't read it like that, you're just going to read a story. But he's telling us something. I, he's given me to tell you this. I'm not doing this because it's sweet and it's cute. Not trying to do, I've got a responsibility to you to help you navigate difficult times that are coming. And in chapter five of Revelation, as they said, there is one worthy and only one to open up the seals and tell us things to come that this earth has yet to ever see. And if you're not in Christ, if you don't know who he is, we don't have time to put it off. The signs of the time are now. They're all around us. We're so confused because even the church is confused. But he said, I'm the Alpha. That word Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, which signifies the first, but not just being first, but it's signifying I'm the first. I created and I brought everything into existence. And just not first. Because if he's just first, if me and Pastor and Miss Sherry and Diane go to lunch here in a few moments, then who's going to go in first? We'd all be equal. That's not what he's saying here as being the first. He said, wait a minute. I'm the one that created you. I created this earth and I created everything in it. But notice he also said, I'm the alpha or the omega, which is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, which means this. I've got the final say. I'm going to be the very end of this thing. It's in my hand. It's not in yours. It's not in Satan. It's not in our political system. It's not in what Russia does, China does. It's in the hand of God. It's in Jesus. Matter of fact, most of you don't even have a right view of heaven. Because you're just trying to get to heaven. If heaven all it is... There's been places I felt like I've been in heaven on earth right here. Why do I want to leave it? But what Jesus is saying, you want to know what the real end of everything is? Is that you are in him and with him throughout eternity. I'm the alpha. I'm the omega, the beginning and the end. And notice something else that he says in this verse. Says the Lord... Who is, he repeats it again. You need to mark how many times he does this because he don't think we got it. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. What he says, the Lord says, he was using the term Yahweh, the self-existent one, the all-existing one, the one that needs nobody's help. Sometimes we think he needs us. No, he doesn't. He chooses to use us. But he said, I am the Almighty, which means I'm the all-ruling one. Jesus said in Matthew 28, before he left, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. 
You know what that means? Even the authority Satan has. Even the authority the corrupt politicians have. Even the authority your abusers and accusers have. It all, Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. i got to land this jet. So let's go to verse Let's go to verse 11. So John's own, he hears the trumpet and here God speaks in verse 11. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. But notice he says something a little bit different here. He said, I'm the first and I'm the last. He says it just a little bit. Uh, can we say that together? Just that one phrase. Let's say it like we, we would... I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. So see, these are titles, first and last, that point an allusion towards Jesus, of who he really is and his character. Maybe to understand that, we'd have to go into Israel's history. In Isaiah 41, verse 4, I think he's got it to put it up there. If you could do it real quick, my friend. Here we go. It says something like this. God speaking to Israel. God talking to Israel, even in their sinfulness, after he's promised deliverance and everything to them. Who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Who called the generations? Who put everything in motion? God did, but we don't act like that. He's wanting us to see, I am the first, and I'm going to be the last. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 6. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first. And I am the last. Let's read that last verse to get part together. Besides me, there is no God. Okay, who you trusted in? This is why you better be sold out to Jesus. If you're going to live and walk victorious, you need to be totally committed, sold out to him because he's the only way. One more verse. Let's look at Isaiah 48 verse 12. If you, there it is. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. It's interesting. He speaks to him, one, as his name before covenant was made, and he was, he was in covenant, but he was acting like Jacob. He was the deceiver. He said, listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, the one I've called to reign with me, my called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. So three times throughout the book of Revelation, he identifies himself as the first and the last. So what is he saying to Israel? Remember, Israel knows their history. And even though it would be 100 years, they still would go back and remember things. Why do you think many times you read through the book? Remember when Peter came out of the upper room? Peter takes them back into history. You remember that? He began, hey, this one that you all, you, you know the one that our father David, the one that our father Abraham, they pointed them all the way back to history. Because what he's doing is three things. He's declaring before all that he is the 
God of the Old Testament. I'm the Yahweh. I'm the Jehovah. I'm the El Shaddai. I'm the one that is more than enough. He's also declaring a second thing. I am the eternal Jehovah. Everything is in me. You and I have to understand you and I live in a time, we may talk about that next week a little bit. The Lord says the same. You and I are in time, but God's eternal. So everything about God, he, everything about us is in God. And then he said, he is Jehovah. I am the one that is first. And I assure you, I'm going to be last. No question, landing the jet right here. Verse 18. Oh, verse 17. I better listen to what he said because John goes through that. And John said, when I heard his voice, I turned to see. I turned to see this voice that spoke to me. Before John saw, John saw a mere man. When John walked with him, he didn't look any more different than you and I to John. He was just a man, but he did miraculous things. Many of us see Jesus as this gentle, loving shepherd with the lamb upon that he went out and found and put him over his shoulders. And that's all that we ever seen. But this time, I believe John sees something different. I believe he knows the lamb that's taken away the sin of the world. But this time, he said, I see the one who's, who's in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Notice what it said. He's like but there's something different about him. He's clothed with a garment to his feet, girded about his chest with a, golden, with a golden band. This would give a sense of royalty. This would give a sense of kingliness, of one who has conquered. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flames of fire. And he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a two-edged sword and its countenance was like the shining of the sun. Matter of fact, it was so dramatic. Listen to what John said. I fell as though I was dead. Man, after you got burned, boiled in oil, after you got, you know, dosed with poison and you can't, you can't die after you've seen the miracles that John see. What was it about Jesus this moment that all of a sudden he was in such different form? He was in such a different position that John said, I could not stand in front of him. I tell you, most of us have lost our fear of God. We've lost our image of who he really is and how powerful he is. Because we don't mind what we think, what we say, what we do. We've become the generation that Paul said that we are lovers of ourselves more than the lovers of God. Y'all are really quiet. I know it's not. I didn't come to make you jump today. I never do. I shared this last week at a church. I was in a camp meeting a number of years ago preaching. And I always go to take a word from heaven. I really seek God everywhere I go, even here. I don't care what night it is. And after I'd preached that message, pastor spoke to me and he said, man, you almost got us there. You almost got us there. I said, I, where, where was I supposed to get you to? He said, man, we were about to jump and run all over this building. I thought, that's what you want? 
Is that what you're after, a buck and a jump and a run and said that we come into the presence of God? Man, I've got a responsibility to help you encounter Jesus so that you will not disappoint, that you will not die without knowing him, that you will not leap and step into eternity. I want you to be walk in the fullness of everything that God has for you right here upon this planet, no matter what is happening around us. I believe we can prosper. I believe we can be in health. I believe we can be whole. But he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Do not be afraid. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to live in fear. I'm telling you, I have no clue what's getting ready to come upon this planet. I don't think any of us do. We don't know what's coming to our nation. Now, all of you, we got a lot of people listening to a lot of prophetic voices, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing some of them say, something major is getting ready to happen in the nation. Are you ready for it? But he said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And then he shuts down. Worship team, come, please. He said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Matter of fact, let's read that together, can we? Let, let's read that. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. In other words, it's settled. It's done. There's not another victory in him to win. It's settled. He said, I have the keys of death and hell. I hold the key. All authority is in my hand. Let me read it to you in my version. I'm the firstborn from the dead. I paid the price. I conquered death. And I don't have to. And I will not ever do it again. Because I am the conquering king. And I hold the crown. And I have the keys. So church, he's speaking to us to know who he is. If you're going to navigate the times that are ahead, I'm challenging you better know Jesus. Because he's going to be the only safe place. He's going to be the only sure place. He's going to be the only right place. He's going to get me through when nothing else can get me through. He's talking to us this morning. Remember, he looked at the church. He said, I know where you are as you stand to your feet. He said, I know some of you, you've stepped away from your first love. You've got other loves that you've put your attention to. And yet you come and you call yourself mine. He said, some of you are living corruptly. You've got junk going on that doesn't need to be going on. Some of you are compromising. You've adapted to the doctrines of this world and you're tossed about with every wind of doctrine that comes along. Some of you are just absolutely dead. You have no life and you wonder why things aren't happening.
Some of you, you've gotten lukewarm. In other words, I believe it's like this. You got one foot in the church and you got one foot in the world. And you're trying to live your best you can for both of them. And I believe God is saying, I know I'm giving you a chance to get it right. And so he is this morning. He said, I'm God. I know where you are. And I've got everything in my hand. And everything is going to end in my hand. I'm going to ask them to do that song again. But church, I want to know where you are. I want to know where you are. I don't care how long you've been around here. I heard a testimony this week of a, of a deacon in a, in a church. Been a deacon for 50 years. 50 years in the church on his deathbed. He calls up his daughter said, I need you to come. He's getting ready to exit this life. He said, baby, I need you to tell me how to be a Christian. I need you to lead me to Jesus after 50 years of sitting in the church. I want to tell you, you sit in this church and be absolutely dead while everybody's running around you. You can say the hallelujah. You can say the song. But the only thing that's going to change and bring life to you is the life of Jesus on the inside. Some of you need to make up your mind. You're living excuses. I got this. I got that. You need to make up your mind. Get your foot out of the world. Either get in or get out. I'm telling you, it's that serious in this moment. To him who much is given, much is going to be required. So we need to know. We need to get it settled. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to give him my whole heart. Some of you have got some detestable things going on you think is covered up. But I'm telling you, the hour, nothing is going to be left covered up. Things are going to start being exposed. God never wants to make an open show of you publicly because he already did it. But he's given an opportunity for you that you don't have to live shamed in front of everybody that thought you were a somebody. So while they lift up this song, this is the way the altar call is going to close. He said, I am he who is who was and is to come. I'm Alpha, I'm Omega.